All right. <clears throat> Please forgive me. There may be a little coughing, a little this, that, and the other that's going on. Uh, for those of you that haven't heard, I have been dealing with the flu. It's been kind of wandering through our house. And thanks to the good Lord Jesus and to you, Dr. Dixon, I am alive today. Thank you. So uh, I am very grateful, to say the least, but the rumors of my demise have been greatly exaggerated and that I am on the upswing. And uh, I feel compelled. It's not that, that anybody tells me I have to be here, and I understand when you're sick, you can be away, but it's very important to me, especially when God is dealing with my heart, that if at all possible, I can be here to share with you because I believe that the words that are shared in God's church are not just the words of a minister. I don't believe that it's an individual that just sits down and he looks at a book and he does some reviewing and he says, this Sunday, this will be fine to say. I don't believe that at all. I believe that we must seek the face of God. I believe that we must hear from his Holy Spirit. And I believe it is in such an atmosphere that as we submit to God, as we remain repentant before him, as we seek his face, that God will in turn be faithful to speak to us. And I mean that sincerely, a true word, a fresh word, bringing fresh enlightenment to what God has said in his word, of course, to teach us. Now, before I begin, I can't help, doesn't this look beautiful? This is the first time I've gotten to see it. This is gorgeous. It really is. I don't think you did all this for me. I think you did it for Jesus, but thank you. Thank you for decorating looks beautiful. It really does. I tell you what, the tree could have been about three feet taller, right? We could have a... Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, goodness. You'll notice on the screen the title of the message today is Come Out From Among Them and Be Separate. Uh, for, I've got several Bibles hidden from me. I keep losing them everywhere. I carry a Bible everywhere I go and I lay it down so I'll find them in, in a week or two. But if you will, you'll notice that we're going to be in the book of Job. There we go. Yeah, Job once again. I figured in, in the light of everybody being sick, let's just go right back to Job. Let's, let's just look at it that way. Oh, Father, today, as prayers have been offered, as we seek your face, we ask you, Lord God, that you would be faithful to speak to us today. Father, we submit our hearts to you. We look to you and we ask you, our Lord, our God, our Father, our gracious God and King, please speak to us and teach us your words and your truth. We long, Lord, to be pleasing in your eyes. And we know, God, that you love us. You love us so tenderly and so wonderfully. And Father God, I pray that we would grow today. I pray that we would, Father, learn how to be pleasing in your eyes, to go before you into this world, to love others in your name, to be salt and light in this earth. Glorify your name today in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. All right. Today, the message uh, may, be, may be a little different, I guess, in some aspects, but I want to share with you kind of where we're going. Um, whenever we talk about, or the scripture says, now this scripture actually comes from the New Testament, but it is quoting from the Old Testament. It's using a couple of different scriptures from the book of Isaiah and also from Ezekiel. But 
the scripture is basically this, God calling his people to not be like everybody else, to not settle for what everybody else is settling for, not to just simply say, God, I'm going to uh, do the bare minimum, or God, how about this? Let's say it this way. God, I'm not simply going to go through the motions and appear to be something. God, I want to be the real thing. And that is what God calls us to be. In this world, there is way too much falsity. There is way too much of just putting on a mask and pretending to be one thing. And I'm not just talking about within the church. I'm talking about in life in general. I'm talking about among those that don't even know the Lord. Human beings have fallen. Now that is what Jesus is in the process of doing. I mean, he has already paid for our salvation. He has already made a way for us to be right with God. He has made a way so that we might walk holy before our Lord. That is true. But understand, whenever humanity fails, it affects everything. Absolutely everything. And whenever we look at the world today, whenever we talk about broken people, it's not just brokenness within the church, it's brokenness within society as a whole. We have not become what God desires for us. And whether we have come to Christ or not, the fact is, is we have still not accomplished or become or lived what God desires for us to be. And primarily what I'm talking about here is integrity. Now, integrity is one of those uh, buzzwords and I guess one of those powerful words that everybody shares, but it's talking about being a person of your word, standing by your principles, standing up for what you are compelled in your heart to feel is right. And it does not matter if it costs you something. See, more people are concerned with the cost than they are concerned with doing what is right. Sometimes standing up means that you, in the process, may lose something. People may not look at you the same, or you may be passed over for something because you are not walking or acting like you are in the game, or you are not rather walking down a path that somebody else expects you to walk down in order to be accepted by them. But that is not what God created you to be. God created you to be better. God created you in his image for also that purpose, revealing his image in this world, not only to creation, but to one another, that we would also be held accountable by what we see. And especially now, living in a fallen world, all the more we need one another to look to, to to hold us together. Now, I'm not just talking about simply accountability, but we need lights in this world. We need examples in this world. And that is exactly what God has called you to be, examples of who he is. All the more as a believer, all the more as his child, he has called you to be that. 
so that those around you living in this world, and I know that the sun shines today, and I know that in this beautiful sanctuary with all the decorations here, how beautiful they are, it is easy for us to look around and say that there is so much light. But the truth is, spiritually speaking, on the authority of the Word of God, this world is in darkness. And it is looking for light. Now we try to fill that void of darkness with all kinds of things. And I know that you have heard many sermons on this. But there is so much that we try to pack into our lives to bring us a sense of joy. But know this. You don't have to have much of anything to have joy. As a matter of fact, and I'm not trying to just say this because it sounds good, but the people with the most in this world seem to be the most miserable. Philosophically speaking, psychologically speaking, achieving that which you have desired most in life, though bringing you an intense joy, even an adrenaline rush, at the end of it brings some of the greatest depression because the question is, where do you go from here when you have achieved what you want in life? And you say, why is that a problem? It's a problem because without Christ, whenever everything that you desire in life is focused right here in this world, right here with what is in front of me, It's something that physically is given. Once you achieve that, what is there for living for? People say, well, I'll just find another project. Really? The truth is, is what you have your whole life desired. As a matter of fact, there's testimony after testimony of people even winning the Super Bowl that have said, you know, that's what I wanted my entire life. That's what I wanted. And they said the very night they won it, they went home and contemplated suicide. Because they said, what else was there to live for? Did you hear that? What else was there to live for? Without Christ, what is there to live for? You're failing it. You're missing it. I'm missing it. How can I do anything with my life? How can I give life to anybody else unless I know life? And if I don't, well, let me rephrase. If I desire or wish to experience and to know life, I have to go to the author of life, and that is the Lord God. I will never truly know love. And as beautiful as love is here upon this earth with our love for our wives, our love for our children, our love for our friends, family, what have you, it is nothing, absolutely nothing compared to the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. And to know that love is to give a completely different and as a matter of fact, an amazingly more powerful expression of love for our family for our wives, for our children. In other words, we will never love them as we should without Christ. We, we people, God looks at us, the church, as a special, special creation. He looks at us and he refers to us as his beloved as his bride, pulling us close to his chest, loving us. We are precious to him. 
I think about the scriptures as I'm studying with the children next door. Can a mother forget her suckling child talking about God to his people? God says, can a mother forget her suckling child, nursing child? He says, see Israel, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. I see you always, and I love you always. And you, as the creation that you are, God wants you to be everything that he created you to be. He wants you to be that salt, to be that light, to be that change in this world. We're talking about in January attacking this community, and we are. And that's the reason why I believe the enemy is fighting us so hard. I've never had so many problems medically in my life. And you want to know something? The truth is, is even while I was laying there in the bed, and there is a photograph floating around of me <laughs> that my wife took under about 37 blankets, okay? And the only thing that was out was my mouth and my nose because I was freezing to death. Please don't let that get published. <laughs> but, you, yeah. but I'm going to go ahead and tell you, woe is me? No. Great is God. Yes. People, I don't like being sick, but you want to know something in the whole scheme of things. And I think that's what Paul was trying to tell us. He is persuaded that the present struggles of this life are nothing to be compared with the glory that will be revealed. And the Bible reminds me time and time again, whenever I want a mully grub about something, that's a good Southern term for you, mully grubbing. But whenever I want to mully grub about something, I'm reminded time and time again that the present sufferings of this life are nothing to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. And I have not resisted the bloodshed. I still have my life. Thanks, God is good. Which brings us to this. When the Bible talks about coming out from among them and being separate, it's talking about us being holy. Holy in the true word, H-O-L-Y. The same thing that the seraphim, as they cry out over the throne of the living God, as they hide their faces from the glory of the ever-living, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And God, in a powerful, and albeit a smaller way, we bearing his image, says to you and me, be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. Holy, what does it mean to be set apart? Set apart for God. Priests were referred to as holy unto the Lord. That is set apart unto God himself for his work. You primarily, as children of God, your first priority is your devotion to the Lord God himself, the worship of the Almighty. And we forget, Satan will tell us, that worship for some reason is a struggle and it is not. Well, just bear with me. You say, well, sometimes I don't feel like worshiping. Yeah, I understand that. 
Sometimes I don't feel like getting out of bed, but I got to get out of bed anyway. But I want you to know that worship was intended to be a blessing. It is actually a privilege. We're commanded to worship because we don't. We're allowed to worship because God understands the gift that he's going to give when we do. You hear about the joy of the Lord being your strength? Worship. You want to know peace in times of trouble? Worship. You worship God and he will wrap his arms of love around you. He will fill you with his spirit and you will know life. But we must worship. We are holy unto the Lord. What we are. So to be holy, to be separate. So today I want to look at Job from a different perspective. And it's not just, okay, here's a man who suffered and we we learned that suffering has a purpose or something like that. I want you to look at the things that he said while in the throes of some of the most horrible things that can happen to humanity. And let me go ahead and set the stage for you. There are a lot of things that you and I will be asked to endure in this life. Make no mistake, your Lord has suffered them too. The Bible says that our Savior, we don't have one that doesn't understand the frailties, the struggles, the pains that human beings feel. You cannot look up at God and say, God, you do not understand what it is like to be here. You do not know what it is like to be limited, to suffer, to hurt, to have a body that can only do so much. You don't know what it's like for people to be cruel in the sense that they are cruel here and to spit the venom that they do. Now the Bible says that our Savior came in the likeness of man, wrapping himself in flesh, becoming frail just as you and me, suffering unmercifully and yet was without sin. He showed us that we could. But what you see in this book, and what I want us to kind of, I guess, to meditate upon, to have change our lives, is this. Of all the things we might be asked to suffer, we would say that some of the most painful will be the suffering of those that we love. To see our spouse, to see our family, even friends, but what about our children? To see them suffer in some way. It is in those times more than ever that human beings cry out in anguish because they hurt, and rightfully so. I believe not to hurt for your family is wrong. Love demands us to hurt sometimes. And what you will see in Job's life is that all his babies are taken from him. You know, I 
even though maybe dealing with the after effects of the flu, which is the reason why I haven't come out, come out until the end. It's the reason why I'm more than six feet away from you, and it's the reason why I will disappear before anybody can get up to me, okay? I'm not wanting to infect anybody, but I would like to impart something today, something that only God can give. But another thing is in our sicknesses, sometimes... And at various points in our life, whether young or old, sickness comes for us all. Sometimes we suffer. Sometimes the sicknesses that we face, they are lifelong. And in those pains and in those struggles, there is fatigue. Not only physical fatigue, but spiritual fatigue. And what I'm saying is at some point, we get weak and we don't understand. And there's always the question of why. Now, let me tell you something. Why is not a sin, not necessarily in all situations. Why is a normal response? To say, God, I don't understand, that's okay. There's a lot of things that we don't understand. But you're going to see the life of a man that everything that he possessionally, whether it be his flocks, his herds, all those kinds of things, everything that he might have held on to as far as a possession and that might have given him some comfort for the future, it's gone. His family, his babies rather, they're gone. The very ones that he would get up every single day and he would offer sacrifices for because he said in his heart, just maybe my children might have sinned. They're gone. And you know how they went? It wasn't like the flocks where different people might have come in and grabbed them. The Bible says a wind comes, strikes the house where they are, and it falls upon them. And so what some people might have said was an act of God, or let's just say a natural disaster, took his babies. So who do you blame them? You can't just point at your neighbor. And then what about whenever you are suffering from whatever illness it may be, but you can't lay down, you can't stand up, you can't do anything and seem to get any comfort. What about whenever you look so bad that the Bible says that people initially did not even recognize you? And what happens when you're in such bad shape and you're hurting so bad that people won't even speak to you for days? Because they don't know if they should even speak or not because you're hurting that bad. Okay, grab your Bibles. Job chapter 1. God bless the reading of his word. So in Job chapter 1 verse 6, we're going to come to the point where God has already said of Job that there's nobody like him. Okay? It's a righteous fellow. You're going to see these words in just a minute, but there's nobody else like him on the face of the earth. In other words, when God looks down as far as what he wants of mankind, this guy's measuring up. I did not say Job was perfect. And by the way, in this book, people have often questioned because it says in, in what Job said, he did not sin against God and all those things. And people have sometimes put up this idea that Job has never sinned or never did sin hogwash. Okay. Every human being blows it. But what you're seeing here is the integrity of a man who is doing everything in his power to live for God. And he is a righteous man. And in the story we see revealed here, a man who loves and serves God in spite 
of adversity. And also on top of it all, when you look at him, some people have said, well, Job was sinning whenever he's looking at God and he says, I don't understand, I don't understand. Is it a sin to say you don't understand? Is it a sin to, ooh, I better be careful. Ooh, I was about to mess up. Y'all go looking at me crazy if I would have said this. Just follow me for a minute. Was it wrong for Jesus on the cross to say, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? No. Human suffering is simply given a voice. And the cry that you heard on the cross is your cry. And the cry of everybody else that hurts and cries out to God for mercy. So let's hear this. Job chapter 1, starting with verse 6. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God, that's the angelic host, came to present themselves before the Lord, and of course Satan himself also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord, he says, You know, from going to and fro on the face of the earth and walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, and I won't go into the specifics of who's initiating this because we've covered that before, but I just want you to think about it. He says, have you considered my servant Job? Notice what is said about Job, that there is none like him on the earth. People, that is high praise, very high praise. A blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Think about it. For God to say about you that you are blameless and upright? Yes, we're fallen humanity. But what God's saying is from what he had revealed to Job, what Job knew of God, he was living in fellowship with the Lord. And he was trying daily. You might say, well, you know, he, he was righteous. He, he wasn't faith. Listen, Job got up every day and offered sacrifices. He knew. He knew what needed to be done. And just like God had spoken to his people whenever he told Israel, he said, walk before me. Be blameless as well. And he told them what was required of them in their relationship with God and the sacrifices. Had they done that, God would have called them righteous as well. So he looks at him and he says, look, there's nobody like him on the earth. He's blameless. He's upright. He fears me, reveres me. That almost rhymed, didn't it? But anyway, you'll get that in a minute, and shuns evil. So nine, it says, so Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? In other words, think about the statement before you continue to read. He says, wait a minute. Why does Job serve you? It's obvious, God, why Job would serve you and why you say he's blameless. Of course he's going to do this. You know why? Because you've blessed his socks off. He has prospered in this life. You're always protecting. You've got a hedge around me. I couldn't touch this man if I wanted to. And he says, the only reason that Job serves you is because you bless him. It's kind of an ugly thing to say, isn't it? Especially to someone who knows everything. I find it very unwise for the created to look at the creator and try to fool him. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. But now, now here's the interesting thing. God is in control. He's sovereign. 
He says, Satan says to, to, to God, he says, now stretch out your hand and touch what he has and he will surely curse you to his face. In other words, he looks at him and he says, okay, God. He says, turn me loose. He says, let me at him. He says, if you will let me take away those things that he values most in life, what he didn't know was that Job valued God the most. And you can't take that possession away from people. If your treasure is in God, it cannot be taken away from you. They can seal you in a tomb in absolute darkness, and you are still the possessor of all things if God lives in your heart. Now, do I want to be locked in a tomb someplace? No. Do I want to be in absolute darkness? No. But if I got to be, I'd sure like to have God with me. By the way, I'm very, very high now, not on narcotics, but I have antihistamines and all kinds of means and mites, and I don't even know, that are flowing through my body. So I want to caveat on the camera. If I go crazy today, don't hold me accountable, okay? So I, I, don't, I don't know. Sometimes I ask myself, Shane, did you say that right? I don't know. It's weird to be preaching and having a conversation inside your head at the same time. So anyway, so God, you know, basically Satan looks at him and he says, just take it away. Let me have it. Let me snatch everything that Job values most. Let me snatch it away or so he thinks. And he said, Job will curse you. He's had enough of you. He'll curse you to your face, God. In other words, he will drop you like you're nothing. He will treat you. Here is the insinuation. Forgive me, Lord. But the insinuation is God will treat you like, excuse me, Job will treat you like garbage the second that you take away the incentives. Okay. So the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. I'll grant you that. He says, but don't you dare lay a hand on this person. Well, he goes out, and here's what happens. Reports begin to come back to Job. Your flocks, your, camel, your camels, everything that you got, you know, fire's coming down from heaven. Basically, it's like lightning comes down from heaven, kills all these animals, and this one servant was allowed to live, and he comes back, and he tells Job it's gone. Next thing you know, these raiders come in, and they're taking these, and they killed all your other servants, and I'm the only one that's allowed to live, So I, you know, or I escaped, and I've come back to tell you. And then I want you to look in verse 18. God bless the reading of his word. Praise you, Jesus. It says, while he was still speaking. Now, this is a recurring theme in the scripture, while he was still speaking. So what it's showing is one right on top of another. These, these horrible things are happening. In other words, Satan didn't waste any time. He didn't come along and say, okay, this week I'll make this rough. Next month I'll make this rough. He just went and just lowered the boom on him in one day. Everything gone. The idea is also... Because one of the themes behind the book of Job is the idea, you love God, you obey God, you're blessed. If you are suffering or evil is befalling you or what you perceive to be evil is befalling you, it is because you have sinned and been disobedient. Now, let, let me go back and say something. Is it true that if you love and serve God and walk after him that God blesses you? Yes, it is. 
Is it true that sin and rebellion brings the judgment of God and brings uh, the difficulties that God might allow into our lives for the purposes of changing us? Yes, but know this. Just because you fare sumptuously does not mean that you're righteous. And just because you have things, well, you know, you can look at the other side of the token. Let's do that. Just because you have hardship in your life or sickness in your life, does that mean that you're wicked and evil? No. If hardship and difficulty coming into your life mean that you are evil and mean the judgment of God, then I guess Jesus was in a whole lot of trouble, right? He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We esteemed him not. We esteemed the smitten of God and afflicted. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He came into his own. His own received him not. Good point. So for general purposes, yes. God always blesses those that love him. But just because you face difficulty does not mean that you failed. And also understand just because you have plenty in this life does not mean that God has blessed you either. For there are many wicked that have a lot. Okay. So it says, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on your children. And they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, what do you do at this moment with every person that comes to you and says, Joe, basically everything that you had is gone. I mean, literally, barring your dwelling, it's gone. And Job, the very ones that you sacrificed for and loved so dearly, those apples of your eye, they're gone. What's your response? Now, here is the deal. We're talking about integrity. Integrity. What would we do? What do we do? Think about it for just a minute. Now, this isn't one of those sermons where I stand up and say, you know, I'm a minister and I've got this figured out. No, folks, I struggle with this daily. God was very, very, as if you could say God is correct because God is right, period. But think about this. That's a very accurate statement to say that there was no one like Job on the earth, blameless and upright, a man who shuns evil, fears God. Because whereas I would have a lot of questions for God. And here's the hard part, people. Here's the rub. Is see, we're reading the story and we know the purpose. You've heard this before. You've listened to these truths before. And they have been put into your heart by the grace of God. And people know this. That is why this book was written. It's so that God might impart this to us. People want to know, why did this happen to Job? For you. For you and me that we might see and that we might understand. And you want to know something else, why this happened in this book, and I'm convinced of this as well, for Satan. That he might realize that he doesn't know everything. 
And that whenever he stands up and he says, you know what, humanity is nothing more than garbage. I don't care, God, that you made them in your image. And God looks at him and he says, I don't think so, Bubba. I don't know if he calls him Bubba. I just kind of threw that in there. But I think that he looked at him and he said, I'm going to show you something. That you don't know everything. And there are those that will love me and will listen to me. And the fact that they will listen to me. Do you not know how much that burnt Satan up? Do you know how much talking about this book has to burn him up? Because it reveals his failure. He was allowed to do to a man in God's wisdom what probably has never been allowed again. For a testimony for you and I. And every time we read this, we see a man who stands true, a man of integrity. Now catch this. So with all this that happens, where we would question, where we might look at God and say, God, I don't understand why. My babies, they were innocent. You know, or we would think so. You know, God, why couldn't it have happened to me? There's all kinds of scenarios in there. Sometimes life happens. Sometimes there are things greater than we can understand. And they don't feel so good, but they have their purpose. Then Job arose, verse 20. Job arose. Did he curse God? No, he didn't. It says he tore his robe, a symbol for them of grieving, a symbol of the tearing of the heart of the soul. Tears the robe. He's mourning. He's broken. He goes, he shaves his head, a sign of mourning. He fell to the ground and he worshipped. Worshipped. Let me tell you, what greater worship is there when every incentive you might have, when fear and doubt are raging within you and your knees, spiritually speaking, probably as well as physically, are quaking and you don't know what to do and everything within you just wants to scream, it's unfair, it's unfair, God, I don't understand. And yet that soul falls on its knees before God. And he says, I love you. You are the giver of life. You, O oh Lord God, are greater. And God, I trust you in spite of what I see and what I experience. And catch this. And he said, naked. Catch this. Verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all of this, Job did not center charge God with wrongdoing. I came into this world with nothing, so if I leave with nothing, it doesn't matter. The Lord has given. Everything that I have was given to me by him. And if the Lord chooses to take away, so be it. Blessed be his holy name. Let me tell you something. If there was ever a human being, and I know God is the one that we should reverence, but if there was ever a human being that you would see me with my head bowed a little bit, walking in front of, it would have been Job. 
Because I would have said, Bubba, I don't know that I could have done it. Odds are I couldn't. All right, so after all of this, let's go to Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2 and starting with verse 3. So once again, the angels come before God, and God is making a point here. You'll see it in just a moment. It says, then the Lord, so they come before him, it says Satan comes, and you know, Satan appears. So the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man? After all this, he still asserts this, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now listen to the next part. And he still holds fast to his integrity. There's your word. Integrity, although you incite me. God says you incite me against him to destroy him without cause. God even recognizes, you know, hey, wait a minute. He, he's not done anything to be judged for. And why does God say you incite me? Because God ultimately sees himself as responsible for all things. That's not saying he did it. That's saying that God as the possessor of all things, the one who is in charge of all things, he says, ultimately, I'm in charge. That is, I allow or not allow everything that happens. So think about this. You incite me to destroy him without a cause. Now, people, if you ever want to see the venom of Satan, I want you to see this. He is angry. He is angry. Because God just looked at him and said, you blew that one, didn't you? As evil and wicked as you are, taking his children from him, I allowed that. He says, but he still holds his integrity. And you know what Satan does? Check this out. So Satan answered and said to the Lord, skin for skin. This is venom. This is almost the fist being raised up. He looks at him and he says, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. In other words, okay, fine. If not his possessions, touch him. Let him suffer. The idea is maybe he doesn't love as deeply as I thought, which is hogwash. But he says to him, he said, you know what? He said, a man will do anything to save his own life. In other words, if you see uh, Job suffer, if you make him suffer, truly suffer in his life, then a man above all things, to save his life will do anything. And he says, God, let me at him, and I promise you he will curse you. So he says now, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. Verse 5, but stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, but don't you kill him. Don't take his life. I'll allow you to make him suffer, if but for a season. But you cannot take his life. And why is this happening for you and for me as a witness? So Satan went out, verse 7, from the presence of the Lord, and he struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Now, people, I said this even with the young people next door when we studied this, but this is important. Satan is doing everything in his power to hurt Job, to come as close to killing him as he can without killing him. 
He did not give Job pimples. He afflicted him with something that was going to cause him misery. However these bowls might have been, however they came upon his body, if that was just the best description they had, I don't know. But he can't lay down. He can't do anything. He's hurting people. He's in misery. And like I said, when his friends come, they don't even recognize him. They don't even speak for days. Verse 8, and it says, and he took for himself, you know, some pieces of uh, clay pots with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of ashes. In mourning is what he's doing. Now notice, now don't get angry at his wife. Everybody won't say his wife just came in, was ugly to him, just wanted him to die. No, 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 no. More than likely what's happening is a wife came in and she sees the suffering of her husband. And people get catch this. This is kind of revealing. Job, it'd be better to die. That's what she's saying. Job, you're in such misery. Stop it. Just, just stop it. Just go ahead and curse God and just let it go. Very revealing when you think about it that way. So his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? She says, just curse God, die. Now, I'm not saying that she might not have had some inklings about it, but the point is, just get it over with. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Men, never quote that to your wife. (laughs) Unless you like ravioli, ramen noodles, and a very cold place to lay. But what he's saying is that, woman, what you're saying is foolish. Listen to his words. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Did you hear what he said? The very thing that Satan says that Job will do, you see in his heart, that's not his heart. He says, in this life, he says, I've gladly taken all the blessing of God. I've gladly said, you know, Lord, give me these flocks. Give me these herds. Bless my babies. Bless my fields. Do all this kind of stuff. And he says, when bad stuff happens or difficult things come my way, even horrible things come my way, do I just turn my back on God? That is so much. Oh, goodness, people. Is that not the human condition? We are fine so long as we are blessed. We are fine so long as everything's going good. We are willing to sing his praise. We're willing to talk about his glory. So long as the sun is shining, so long as we are on the mountaintop, and it cannot be so. The mountaintop also had a cross on it. We call it Mount Calvary, Golgotha. I don't want to suffer. But if my suffering in this life were to bring people to Christ, because one day this life's going to be over, folks. And I love it. I love my babies. I want to see them get married. I want to see all this other stuff. Like I said, I'm not looking for suffering. God forbid. 
But if the temporal sufferings of this life might bring encouragement and grace and find someone walking with God without reservation in true holiness and in integrity, then glory to God. Glorify your name, Father. Let it be so. It is a small thing to fall, or let me rephrase, to follow in the footsteps and the sufferings of my Savior, that I might fulfill his sufferings. Small thing. But the human condition. Why? Everybody won't say, why did it happen to Job? So that we could see people. So that we could learn, so that we could understand. Job, Job, yes, not Job. I guess in Star Wars, uh, that might be uh, Job, like Yoda. Okay, I, I did say I was on antihistamines, right? Yes. Are we, so we're good? Yes. Okay, so y'all just kind of hold on to that for a minute. Okay. So here's the thing. Whenever we can learn by God's grace from what is written here through the revelation of God's Spirit living and working in us, through the truth of God's Word, whenever we can learn to follow Him, to be with Him wherever He is, whether it be in times of faring sumptuously or whether it be in times of loss, of little, of suffering, whenever we can also learn to say, the Lord has given and the Lord can take away, There's several scripture there. But whenever we can learn to do that with simplicity of heart and joy in God, then saints, you want to know something? You don't have to say you're immature in your faith because you're walking with some big people, some saints of old. Last thing I want to read you is this and then we're done. I don't have to draw this out. But I want you to hear this. This comes from 1 Peter. We're looking at the New Testament, chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. But Peter talking about this, and I, and I don't have to go over too much of the background, but just listen. Peter talks about us being obedient to God. Not going our own way, seeking for our own interest. But it says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to your former lusts, as in your ignorance. In other words, before we knew God, he says, don't go back to that. He said, there's a new life. Don't return to that old way. Do not return to that old sentiment. Do not return to that philosophy that just lives for self. But recognize the sacrifice of your Savior. Recognize that his love that burned for you and me brought him in obedience to his father to the cross so that he might be light and life to us. And you bearing his image might also do the same by his grace. Not in our former lust as in our ignorance, but verse 15, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct because it is written be holy for I the Lord your God 
am holy. Amen? Not bad for a high pastor. I'm going to have to go back and watch this because I don't even know half the things I said. Okay, but hopefully it was a blessing. Now, here's what I want to do today. I will not touch anybody. I'm not going to come down there and touch anybody. Okay, but what I would like to do is I'm going to invite Brother Paul if he'd come down to the front. And also I'll have uh, Brother Jimmy if he would come as well. And I'm also going to invite our worship team if they would come back up here. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll disappear. Don't think bad of me. I just don't want to touch anybody. This is as fun as the flu is. Skip out on this one. Okay, <laughs> just, just trust me. But here's what I would say to you today. You are the church. You shine brightly. You are the love of your Father in heaven. You are the love of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He, by His Spirit, lives inside of you. And people, we are so much more than we realize. You were created to be a blessing. And God longs for you to be that blessing. And he does not want you to lose heart. But he calls us all to be people of integrity. We stand by our word in a day when our word means virtually nothing. Yes, I'm preaching again. Work with me. In a day when our word means virtually nothing, we stand before God even in our marriage ceremonies. And we promise and we lie. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that divorce doesn't happen. I'm not saying that God doesn't forgive. But what I'm saying is that many times in today, and I've heard people say it time and again, oh, well, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Then don't tie the knot. What you say is important to God. And your word is so important. If you give somebody your word, you keep it. As a matter of fact, according to the word of God, if you make a vow, even Jesus said this, he said, it's better not to make a vow. Don't do it. Because if you make a vow, you better do it. That's from him. We must be people of integrity. And people, allow the spirit of God today to work in you, drawing you, to be And I know we say it every week. We say to be light in this world, but people, the world so desperately needs the light. And you are the light. You are. And you shine brighter than you know. Do not allow circumstance. Do not allow pain and suffering to change what you believe about your God. He's the same whether on the mountaintop or in the valley. He's the same to Jesus whenever he was raising people from the dead as whenever he was hanging on the cross. And he'll be the same for you. Let us respond as God speaks to you if you will all stand.
praying we're going to not okay here's what we're going to do i'm going to turn over the service to uh people more able than me <laughs> trust me so today we're going to pray we're going to anoint and i know that i'm going to be disappearing because i don't want to affect anybody infect anybody but i love you and god bless you okay thank you pastor i appreciate that the word has been preached and uh green 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 hello hello all right, all right, here we go. We're going to do some praying, so if uh, our men would come forward, some ladies can come forward as well. Uh, Johnny's going to sit in for Miss Meredith, and Vicky's going to sit in uh, for Miss Kathy. Both of them have the flu. The flu is just all over the place, so uh, we need to just be praying over all of us, and ever, everybody be in agreement for them in particular, but also in uh, agreement over the entire body. Uh, would be good as well. So somebody could help me. Brandon, can you help me with that? So by faith, we anoint the oil, representing the oil of the Spirit. Father, you promise us in your word that if we'll come forward in faith and the faithful of the church would stand up together upon the word of the covenant, the promises, that you'll heal us, Lord Jesus. Those who are sick would be healed. And so we lift up in particular Miss, Miss Meredith and Miss Kathy. We also lift up many others, Father, who are being afflicted, our pastor included. Uh, many others that are suffering with the, the flu during this season. Uh, Heavenly Father, Spirit of grace, would you just flow over your people. Uh, we come, Father, sick. And Jesus, you said you came for the sick. And we admit we need it. Acutely in this moment, we need it for physical healing, for physical health against the flu. And we just come against the flu. Uh, may the power of the Holy Spirit flow like a river uh, in Miss Meredith and in Miss Kathy. And may perfect love uh, cast fear out of every door. And may that show up by casting the flu out in every place. Father, we want to see... Uh, your power upon your people. Father God, we want to see your sons and your daughters filled with life, filled with testimony, filled with uh, testimonies of the power of God moving and changing circumstances. Lord God, we, we, we pray that our faith would be turned up by your grace in such a way that things begin to happen because we're coming into alignment with your word and your covenant underneath your lordship, Jesus Christ. So teach us about lordship, Father. Teach us how to follow you. Teach us how to pray in faith. Teach us how to do that together. Today we do it faithfully as best we know how. And we stand believing. We cover Miss Meredith and uh, Miss Kathy with the blood of Jesus. Spirit, soul, and body, heart, mind, and will. They are yours and we give them to you. Christ Jesus, Exodus 15 tells us that you are our healer. And we stand upon that scripture today and we lay them at your feet. Lord, we're grateful for your love. Fill us with hope, a thrill of hope that would get us off the couch and get us on the front porch and cause us to see with eyes of faith in the, in the future, the horizon. May we see mighty things on the way in and through us for your glory. 
and we magnify your name in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. Thank you, guys. And thank you, guys. I think that concludes this morning. We've got service uh, tonight. I believe it's uh, 5.30 Awana, is that right? And 6 o'clock service in here. Uh, please come back again. Be safe. Have a blessed day. And we will see you tonight. Bye-bye.